Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited to welcome friend of the show, friend of everybody in volleyball. You can't be around this guy without a smile on your face. So he played at Glebe, where he's an offset champion. He played for the Ottawa Mavericks, where he's got a silver at Provincials and a silver at Nationals. Went on to play at Queen's University, where he's a two-time OUA champion and a U21 champ. He played for Algonquin, which might be the, one of the biggest jam jobs in OCAA history, where he's top 10 in all major stats, but no all-star vote. We'll see what happened there. And he's also a national champion on the beach. Please welcome to the show, Alex O'Need. Needs, thanks for doing this, man. <laughs> no problem. And I will correct you on the text message I sent you. I have a silver at 18U Provincials, but Pac-Man ran over us in the quarters of Nationals. So oh. props to Pac-Man. Thanks, man. Thanks for the the correct. I won't even edit this out. I'll just leave it because it makes for good good airs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm friends with all those guys anyway. Like, they all come through my house and when they're in Ottawa and hang out. So I have nothing but love for those guys. Um, they played at a crazy tournament. <laughs> nice. So let's let's top it off here, though. Uh, by the time this airs, Matt Harris's episode will be out, but uh, you haven't had the pleasure to listen to it yet. I'm wondering. He brought up Glashen is kind of like the start for a lot of volleyball kids in, in Ottawa. Were you one of the guys to come through that program? I actually was lucky enough to um, benefit from that program entirely. Uh, it saved. It actually saved my life. I come from like downtown Ottawa, and I mean, we had that school was a mix of single parent families, uh, immigrant families, mine included, just kids that were on their own very poor very poor families that went to that school and i wasn't really used to that aspect i went to um, elgin street public school so i was used to it and a uh, multicultural background but i on the level of glass and i was not used to it and um i learned pretty early on that all the cool kids there were playing volleyball and I, there was some kind of evidence of it i showed up on my first day and there was a volleyball court on the cement outside fully lined and intended <laughs> and i was like what the hell is going on here? I was like, they love this stuff over here. And I played in, in elementary school a little bit here and there, but I was mostly like a basketball basketball guy, skateboarder guy. You know, I, I idolized, um, I don't know if you uh, if you know him, Josh, but uh, Stuart Hamilton. I know the name, yeah. Uh, yeah, he played libero at Queens. He was libero of the year uh, in the OUA. His little brother, Spencer, is a professional skateboarder, and I thought he was the coolest guy ever. But they played volleyball as well and I was like okay so that's a common theme here and I had a knack for waking up early and coming to school um, just to get things started like playing outside and stuff and I was hearing noise in the gym one day it must have been 7 a.m and uh, or it must have been a bit a bit later than 7 a.m and I'm like there's balls in the gym I guess one of the teams is practicing let's go check it out because that's just grade seven for me and uh, I go in the gym, and there's this old man sitting um, cross-legged in the middle of the net, in the middle of the pole, and he's just ripping into people, you know, about their serve, about showing up late, about this and that. So a couple days go by where I'm just watching in the door, and then he yells at me, and he's like, "Hey!" I'm like, "Oh crap!" I was like, "Okay." He saw me, like, <laughs> and he's like, "Do you want to play?" And I said. I guess, and uh, he he put me on the court, and it's been I've been playing volleyball every day. <laughs> well, obviously a break when I stopped playing volleyball from university, but I played volleyball every day from the time I was 
12 or 13 till 22. Because, <laughs> wow. Because of, that, because of that, man. Now, that was one thing that Matt Harris did hint at is like anybody who wants to play at that school can play at that school. So it's got like a nice mix of like competitive guys who went on to play for Canada and then like people who just want to participate, right? So is the gym just constantly busy or people taking advantage of the outdoor court or how is that like inclusion found at a school like Glashen? At Glashen, uh, Mr. Desclods, he was on, he's the, the coach and I actually had the pleasure of uh, sitting with him at his table for his induction into the Ottawa Sports Hall of Fame last year. He makes an environment where everybody's allowed to come. It's just if you start being an, uh, an a-hole and you start, you know, if you're going to, we had a pretty crazy school. If you're going to start selling drugs inside, uh, if you're going to start uh, fights inside, you're not going to be allowed to come back. But like he's going to give you a chance. He's a very cool guy. So it would usually be the competitive players uh, take the setter spot. So the rallies continue. And then you filter in from the bench. You come in, you serve, you serve, and then you continue. Or no, you go out when you serve. And it's just an open gym. It's a rotator. And you just go for it. And there's a breakfast club at the same time because a lot of the kids were too poor to eat breakfast. So they would eat breakfast while they were off and come back on could save them save their spot wow wow what a great yeah. setup so good i'm gonna have to get him on the show but it's great to see like people have gone through the program and all the high praise he is super he's a super captivating human and i i mean i appreciate everything he's everything he's done for me for sure and i mean i had the pleasure of being coached by him because he had such a close relationship with matt harris up until my grade 12 year, like in, even in my grade 12 year, because if you remember, Matt coached the national capitals, uh, the women's team in Ottawa, a competitive women's team. So on the weekends, Matt would, that was his priority. And Matt would, you know, not let us down by getting Mr. D and Mr. D would coach us at high school tournaments. So he's like another dad to me. I've had lots of, my dad's an awesome dad, but sports dads i've had a lot and he's definitely one of them he came to my wedding i came to his hall of fame dinner uh he's a client of mine in real estate he's just everything to me i'll i'll drop something right now if he called me and he wanted something i would have to do it for what he did for me and my friends wow nice nice yeah thank you for sharing that so i'm wondering because volleyball is like your premier sport when did you know what club volleyball was or when did you start playing club so in grade seven and eight with Glashen, we had no time to play club. I remember going to an invite from Carrie McLean. I've known the McLeans uh, for a really long time. And uh, Greg Scott, Nikki over at the Mavs, uh, John Nguyen, they, they said, hey, you know, we've got a club team. I said, what is that? And they said, well, we travel to tournaments. You have practices a couple times a week. So I actually went to a club tryout. My mom picked me up after school and took me to a club tryout in grade eight. And uh, I ended up, you know, liking it, but I just, the amount of volleyball I was playing at Glash and I had to find out about club volleyball in grade nine. And because of my area, a lot back in the day in Ottawa, the East Enders were Mavs, Colonel By kids, uh, BD kid, uh, Beatrice de Lodge kids, like the f- kind of French. It's, it's really, really um, not inclusive, but it's just like the French kids played for Mavs. And Colonel By kids, and then Glebe, Lisger, Hillcrest, Brookfield guys played for the Kangaroos. So 
I went to a kangaroo tryouts with all my Glashan buddies in grade nine because we were like, I showed up to grade nine and I'm like, where's the outdoor volleyball court? And, you know, I'm not waiting till March to play volleyball or whatever. <laughs> you know, you know what the junior boys volleyball starts later, right? We were not thrilled about that. And it just so happened that I, I can play a good game of basketball too. So I played a lot of basketball um, pickup and that kind of got me through. But once I heard about club tryouts, all my boys went to um, the kangaroos tryouts. And that's the first time I met Bruce Dunning, actually. Nice. Yeah, because I'm always interested with the dynamic in Ottawa where there have been a lot of clubs over the years, but it seems like for the most part, people get along. Like you mentioned, uh, Matt Harris was your high school coach, but he belonged to a different club where there's other communities around the province that I don't think would be so lucky. So what do you think it is about Ottawa that people are kind of athlete first and kind of athlete centered where there's no grudges that if you're going to play high school for me, you better play for my club and all that stuff, right? Yeah. um, Well, at our school, at my school, Matt Harris was our head coach. He's a glee, ride or die guy. Um, he lived in the community his whole life. His, his parents are from there. He has so much pride from the Glebe. And I guess he was the one that told me to go play for the Kangaroos because Bruce has had coached Matt at Algonquin and kind of turned his life around in a way. So everything is connected. That's the issue. That's the, that's the positive issue. I mean, I can go play for the Kangaroos and then because I'm friends with Travis McLean, whose father, Carrie, owned the Mavs, ran president of the Mavs, I should say, I can go eat dinner at his house. And Carrie's not going to, like, that's beautiful. Carrie's not going to, you know, hey, what are you doing over there? When are you going to come over here? He never did that. Yeah, that's, yeah, just, that's a good that's point. Character-based, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And actually, uh, that reminds me of a story I wanted to bring up. We were in a car ride together to Madawaska, and you mentioned, we were just talking about good coaches and good practices they had. And I remember you brought up a Bruce Dunning story where he pulled you aside. I don't know if this was a match or a practice, but he basically told you, like, Alex, as long as you're trying, I won't sub you off. So I'm just wondering, when a coach tells a young athlete like that, what kind of, like, freedom or confidence did you get from, like, his style of coaching? Bruce is um, a a very man's man coach, and he talks to you on the same level uh, as a, as like an adult. And he does, he did that from the time I was 14. Right. So from the beginning, him and I kind of not like we got along, but he told me it was pretty clear on that. He was like, I, I like you. I'm going to challenge you, but I'm also going to talk to you like you're a human and not a little kid. And he just one tournament, he pulled me aside and was like, you know, it's a lot of subtle flex. It's a lot of flexing here, but he's like, look, you're our best player. You're super consistent. As long as there's effort there, I won't pull you off. So talk about player freedom, right? I could just put in effort, which I can control my effort, right? Sometimes I can't control if I'm getting blocked by uh, Dan Deering three times in a row or Terrell. Like I can't really control that so much. It's, But I can control if I go and I come back to the line I, I, and put a big spin serve in or I chase a ball down and hit the floor and stuff like that. So he was kind of early on. He's like, you're my guy. Let's see how self-motivated you are to not be an ass because you have freedom here. So I was kind of like a test in um, And it's actually the way my parents raised me as well. Um, they gave me all the freedom in the world, you know, and I, it was up to me and my brother to take advantage of it or, or, you know, screw up and get it taken away. 
Nice, nice. And again, uh, to last, hopefully last name, Ralph, I brought up Harris enough for one episode. Um, I'm wondering, uh, when we talked about him on his show, that Glebe team was probably one of the best high school teams I think I've, I've ever seen. I saw you guys at the St. Mike's tournament and like you and Rex and Jory and just the effort and intensity you guys were bringing to a high school tournament was very impressive. So was your Glebe team one and the same with your club team or was it different? Like, how did you find going through that process? Like basically were you and Rex on the same club team? I think Jory's a little bit younger, right? But was the core of your team, your club team, is that why it was so successful or was there just something special about Glebe? So again, it always goes back to Glashen. And I think that was probably what Matt Harris was talking to you about because that's where it all starts. So we've got, I'm writing it down because sometimes we've got me, Rex, Jory, um, Wesley, and Min, all coming from Glashen um, on that team. And that's just the starters. We had all other six players who actually won the national championship on the east side for the Kangaroos. That, those were our bench players. Wow. Uh, that Yeah, it was scary. And they were all from Glashen, all of them. So... Yeah, those are just the starters, and um, we had a uh, we had Phil James as well playing middle. Oh, Can't that's right, Phil James. Yeah. yeah, Phil James, and then Tyler Helpy playing middle. And so Tyler went to Nip. Phil James was a, I believe he was an All Canadian at Western, if not an All Canadian, and then first team or second team OUA All Star. He was absolutely phenomenal and such a great person. We have Min Lee, who is not an OVA All Star, but he actually walked on to the University of Waterloo as a left side. Wesley never, Wesley was my coach at Queens. He went to university. He was a little bit, you know, smaller to uh, play libero at university, ended up getting uh, like a lot of concussion issues, but he could have been a, like, he would have been a good college player. I always tell him that. And you got Rex going to UBC and then myself going to Queens, Jory going to Mac and having a phenomenal career. He's still playing. So we had a lot of guys there, but the years played together was insane because if you go to Glashen, I can't, I can't run over this point enough. You have a forever invite to open gym on Friday night. So I had played with Jory for six or seven years already. I had <laughs> played. It's not fair. I played with these guys my whole life. Like that was our, in Ottawa, there's not a lot of, you know, for us, all we did was play volleyball and go eat Vietnamese food on Friday night. Nice. It, it, it's a fun night. And, you know, Mr. D was, um, you know, like um, he was generous enough to let us come back all the time because it was helping develop his program at the same time. So we've played together a lot. Um, Jory was on a younger club team. Phil was on a younger club team. In my early years at Glebe, Rex played up for the Mavs because we had a good, who's the good setter in Hussein Abdo. So we, we were always taken care of in the setter position. I ended up playing with Rex my grade nine year and I think it was grade nine and then 11 and 12 or grade nine and then grade 12. But either way we played together every lunch hour at Glebe. <laughs> nice, nice. And I got to bring up one story. Uh, do you remember in Offsa playing against Mississauga secondary and there was a little bit of a brouhaha and do you remember turning to Matt Harris and saying, we got this? Yeah, I, I do. I was in my own, I was in, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like intensity there. Uh, I probably got into, I probably got into it with Terrell or something. <laughs> That's the story uh, I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, he, he used to jump like I've known. Ter- I've played with Terrell for uh, probably three or four years, four years before that, and so it's just leading up to that. And then he's in grade twelve. We're both in grade twelve. I got the bronze the year before. They beat us in the semis the year before at Offsa, and they lost to uh, Sander Radsev's team. I think just I, I don't know. I like to talk crap, and he was like, he jumped probably way over the line, and I was like, you better control that body, and. He, he, you know, you can't really talk talk shit to him, and he just like lost it. <laughs> he, just, he just loses his mind. You, you know where you are. You know where you are. I'm like, yeah, I jumped in a five hour bus ride to get here. Like, you, <laughs> it's pretty evident where I am. All your friends are in the stands. Are going to see you lose. I just had a confidence in it. And it, you know what? He was a one man machine. They had some great players on that team: Jordan Langley, Kadeem Clark, Jesse Sadi. Um, and actually, David Williams was on their team in grade twelve too. So they had a whale of a team. And we just had a lot of ball control. And that's not to say they didn't. It's just we had better ball control. They could hit and out block us for sure. It's just the ball control transition plays were getting out of hand. And Terrell was starting to get mad. And I'm speaking about Terrell as an 18-year-old. And we were really good friends. And we still are. Like, if he's in Ottawa, he comes to my house for a drink. Like, we are very – and it's made lifelong friendships from this stuff. But he uh, – he had tons of kills that game and we just got lucky on a pipe he hit out to win it yeah and, yeah i wasn't implying yeah. that you guys weren't friends i believe you were even roommates on the provincial team i just thought yeah, it was we funny were, that, that like this little, this gym yeah. stopper incident happens and you have the courage to just turn to harris and give him a wink and say yeah, we got this <laughs> well because harris at that point you got to remember this is like 10 years 10 plus years ago more and uh he was a young he was young and fiery too and the difference between him and Bruce is Bruce was extra composed because he was older. He had already had kids. He, he was older by the time I got to him, uh, by the time he coached me, right? Harris still had that fire, you know? And I just wanted to say to him, like, it's okay for this one. Like, you can take a deep breath. I think we got it. You know, let, let's chill on this. Because we'd beaten them in the semifinal of their own tournament earlier in the year. Um, we ended up playing um, – the best team from Winnipeg, Miles Mack, or one of the best teams, uh, Chris Voth and uh, I think Dane were on the other team in Winnipeg. But this was their rival. Um, they came down for an sports exchange with a team from Ottawa called Hillcrest High School. So we ended up playing uh, Miles Mack in the final, and that was one of the f- most fiery games I've ever played. Kids from uh, Winnipeg do not back down from a bit of trash talk. Let's say that. <laughs> Yeah, let's build on that point because it's always a, a question we ask a lot of people on the show and like Garrett May's given some great answers and, and super best friend of the show, Ben Saxton, where there's a type of player where they don't want to chirp because they don't want the spotlight or the pressure that comes afterwards, right? Like you're drawing a lot of attention to yourself where, you know, with you playing at Algonquin, I, I've been on the wrong side of some of this chirping and you used to get Everett fired up uh, at George Brown there. But I'm wondering, how are you comfortable and confident with that to like put a target on yourself, but still perform and get the job done? It's from, again, I know I come back to it a lot. It's from Glasham. If you miss a serve, people are just going to chirp you the whole time. So, like, from a young age, there's been, like, a little bit of pressure. You got to know how to play with a little bit of pressure and dish it. You got to take it. I mean, I've played in games uh, now where guys in the stands have really tried to intimidate me, like, outside the sport. And there's been a couple times where I've had to count my people, like, as my my ad like people are going to help me out after a game if something goes on 
versus people who aren't going to help me out because I've gotten myself into some like stupid crap. So I can get out of hand and I'm very uncomfortable, but I, I come off as comfortable because I can kind of rest in the sport. If that makes sense. I, I talk way too much. I even say things I'm embarrassed to say out of, you know, anxiety or, or embarrassment, but that's like my fight or flight. And then I take solace in the volleyball. So I just kind of found over time a way to breathe when it's time to play. And then as soon as it's time to play, it's like the waves come back off the beach and I'm like, at the mouth, you know, you, you suck, you suck. Like, you know, it must be nice to have tall parents. That's all you got. That's all you got. You got genetics. You got genetics. Like just silly, silly talking. I, I stopped a game against U of T in my second year to tell Matt Stefanoff off in front of everybody. And he is six foot nine and humongous. I was so nervous, but my mouth just goes. And it's always been like that. But then I take a deep breath. And I'm like, oh, I got to play volleyball. So it's a weird kind of Jekyll and Hyde where I've had to kind of learn how to harness that. But it can be embarrassing. It can be when I've gotten really out of hand. It can be, I can be remorseful. I could call guys after a game. I can text them. Uh, because of how embarrassed I am of my own talking. But at that age in grade 12, it was more ooh, like after a big block and stuff like that. It comes with time. You start getting older, you, the parts of your, the parts of your being that you haven't taken care of, they come out. And those, that university um, was bad for me in that respect. I got very out of hand. Um, lots of, lots of different incidents. And I just kind of, remember them as, as learning experiences for me now. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Let's jump ahead there. So with you being obviously a volleyball fanatic, like you said, you wanted to play every single day, you're on a successful high school program, you're on a good club team. What was your recruiting process like? Like when you were selecting Queens, obviously they're competitive, like strong recruiting class. Oh, I even uh, missed this in your intro. You're like, you're a Ken Davies award winner. So were you always looking to stay in Ontario? Were you looking to stay close to home or like, what were you thinking for your post-secondary? I was thinking, I'm pretty sure, if I, if I remember correctly, I applied to Queens, Mac, and York. And I was fortunate enough to get into all three. And I had relationships, uh, pretty good relationships with all three coaches. And I got some advice from Bruce Dunning when trying to pick a school. And I can't remember who said it, but I actually tell it to kids in Ottawa if they ask me about what I think of certain schools. And I always say, if you blow your ACL out, can you live in that city? That's all. That's my advice to young athletes. I say, if you blow your ACL out, I, I like have a big injury. Can you wake up every morning, sun shining and be at peace in your mind in that city? And the one place I could, and it's funny because she put the least pressure on me to go there was Queens. Wow. Yeah. So I wasn't recruited heavily by Brenda. Uh, I would say she expressed interest when I was younger. And then she said, you have to get your grades up because they were very bad. Um, and then when I was able to um, tell her, hey, I got my grades up, she was very comfortable in the libero spot for at least another year because of Stu Hamilton. And I was never, I had zero libero experience. Uh, the only libero experience I had prior to Queens was one year of HPC, so five days in grade 11, and then 
a bit of training with the Team Ontario program in grade 12 because Eric, my, one of my best friends, Matson, who I shared the Ken Davies with, was the libero on that team, and he was way better than me at libero. Way better. Not even close. And so with, my recruiting... Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, sorry for cutting you off. I was just curious. Like, I, I think it, it's trending right now, and especially with like the way Duke basketball gets hyped where one guy commits and then another guy commits and everybody's looking around to see like who's going where was that the case at Queens or like, how did that one recruiting class, was they, were they a year older than you or your age when like Fotley, Ammo, Nico, like uh, Dan, like all these guys arrived, that was within the same one or two span, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, uh, that was one year ahead of me. And it was actually (laughs) Michael Amoroso, who's one of my really good friends and we talk, I try to talk to him at least once every couple of weeks on the phone. He recruited me just over Facebook Messenger or MSN at the time. I can't really remember. We talked and we always got along and he was doing Brenda's pushing. And I actually even remember, Brenda might deny it, but I remember going for my recruiting trip and her telling my mom, like, look, I, I can't not guarantee you a spot. Like she was saying it to me, right? And I, I'm a 12, grade 12 with an ego in my opinion, in grade 12, and I don't know if there's a lot of people that would argue with you, I was one of the top players in the country as a grade 12. Players, volleyball players. Um, You know, there's some guys that hit bigger balls than me, like one of my favorite players to watch is Steve Hunt, and they were on the provincial team with me. I mean, Steve respected me in that position as a left side. So from her to tell me, I can't really guarantee you a position. It was an ego blow, but it kind of, it kind of was like, okay, I'm definitely going to get a position here. Like I wasn't going to not. So that was, that was my motivation. Like I had good talks. I mean, Wally, Wally was going to give me the world and Dave was, you know, Hey, we like you. It was actually Dave's, I forget what his name is. Um, his assistant coach, uh, who coached at Rick Hansen. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. And I'm not going to be able to think of who it is. Shoot. Um, but he approached me and was like, yeah, Dave would, Dave would definitely take you if you have any interest in McMaster. Was it Dave McAllister or uh, what was the I other? Mike so. Russell, maybe. Maybe it was yeah, McAllister. Well, they were very, very nice. And, and, and face-to-face and talking with Dave Preston, even throughout my university career, was nothing but, uh, nothing but positive. And he's always, you know, wow. Like, impressed with what I did for my size, I think. And he didn't think of me as short. And I, I think Brenda... Brenda was a bit spoiled by that recruiting class in front of me because the athletes we got at Queens were obscene. Uh, that, that recruiting, that recruiting year, you know. Rose I didn't even mention Yorn actually. Yeah, I'd list off the names for everybody. Yorn. Like, okay, so the setter was Dan Rosenbaum, who was one of my favorite setters of all time. You got Nico Rukavina playing left side, which is the best player I've ever played with for sure. Like, insane. So you got Nico. Brian is one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. Folly. Amoroso, definitely, definitely the craziest middle. And then Yorin. And Yorin, I'm not even going to intro him. He's he's Yorin. Like, <laughs> the national team member. And, yeah, intense. So those guys are all my really good friends. And uh, we just we hit it off right away. And I ended up playing left side in the year one, but you know, like the serve and defensive specialist deal. Mm-hmm. And then year two, I was uh, starting libero when we won OUAs year three. Again, libero, we had a tough year that year with injuries and this and that. And then year four, I played left side again. 
Now, so what I'm interested about Queens is, is guys will tell stories over the year. And, and with all those strong personalities, shout out to Sam Pedlow for this one. He mentioned that practices would get so intense where I think you and him started chirping at each other and you were on the same team because he told you to pass free balls better. So even though this team is stacked and there's so much talent, there was a ton of alphas and intensity in that gym, wasn't there? Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, I like that. That was fun, actually. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was. I didn't give him enough time to get to a ball to get. And then I think he got reamed out. Yeah. Sam got reamed out for it. And then he turned around at me and he dropped an F bomb or something. Like I didn't take it too hot. I wouldn't, I mean, I'm not really the scared type, but he was like better pass the F and ball better or something like that. And I just stopped. Like I put the ball under my foot or something. And I was like, you raise your voice to me one more time. We're going to have a real problem. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't give a shit how tall you are. Cause to me, it was from Barry. He's never been hit in the face before. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is sweet. But again, really good friends with the guy. So it was like, we were just pushing each other, pushing each other a little bit. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that, a lot of, you know, I've, I've been removed from practice at Queens Ammo's been removed. Nico's been removed. Um, Yoren's been removed multiple times. Just, you know, we just got too heavy and had to go take a breather. And then Brenda calls you on the phone later in the night and says, are we good? I'm like, yeah, we're good. She's like, see you tomorrow. Now, what is the culture going on there? Because, uh, again, I just feel like I'm name dropping this whole episode, but Josh Binstock had a great episode with us. And he mentioned at U of T, similar intensity, guys getting after each other. But he mentioned their culture was so strong that, like, you were almost the dick if you held the grudge. Like, after practice, everything was supposed to be settled and you were boys again. And if you couldn't let it go, that was on you. It wasn't on the other guy for chirping you or calling you out in practice. Was it similar at Queens, like, that you guys could, like, honestly be just going at it through the net? And then as soon as you're back in the team room, like, you're, you're friends again? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I don't think that many times they actually fought or even I can't think of one time where we just went into the team room and started throwing, throwing hands or anything. But yeah, we got over it quick. Like, cause we lived together, right? Like it was like a, it was like a little commune. <laughs> it was a volleyball commune. The first years lived in their res, but we all ate together at the calf until you graduate. So we were eating suppers together, lunches together, go to practice together. And then if you're going to hold the grudge, you're going to have a tough time. Life's going to be really long for you, right? Because everybody's in practice. Everybody talks out of bravado. Everybody talks out of testosterone. And, you know, you're not yourself. You're you're this built-up version of yourself. And sometimes if you have anger close to the surface, it's going to come out. And if you can't get over that, it's going to be a, not only a tough couple weeks till you get over it, it's going to be a tough life in general. So I think volleyball is a nice metaphor for I think tough love in volleyball is a nice metaphor for how life kicks you too. So, yeah. And and how did you find managing the expectations at a school like Queens? Because we, we've talked about the recruiting class, like a lot of these players have gone on to represent Canada. So was there an expectation? Was there goals in place? Like, was it just fun coming to the gym every day and knowing that you guys could get it done? Like what was, what was the attitude or the mood around the team when it came to like winning provincial championships or going on to nationals and all that stuff? On the court, volleyball was always super serious, and um, Brenda brought the structure, and then she always had like a pretty fiery assistant coach with her, like a Fugard, a Battiston, um, uh, Denis Gabary, you know, they brought the fire, um, and it was intense on the volleyball court for sure. Um, the weight room in my later years was very popular as well. 
Um, but it was always evident who wanted the academic life and who wanted to go on in volleyball. And those guys would put in more of the time in volleyball or, or and vice versa. Those guys would put more of the time in school as long as you pass. So for me, for instance, I didn't really, I liked school. I was always an average student in, at Queens. Uh, I, I put down my course load so I could hit the weights like crazy. I really liked it was good for my health. Um, and then it was good for my volleyball. Consequently, I do passing practice every morning with Brenda, hit the weights, hit the shower. This is all with Nico and Matt Taylor and, um, and Brian Fotley. Go grab lunch, do our classes, go back to the gym, volleyball, hit dinner, library or video games or whatever we want and go to sleep, do it again. It was a really nice life. I'm very fortunate to live that life for so long. Now you gotta you gotta call me out on this. This is either like a funny story that I'm too gullible for, or this is actually true. Like when when you guys were going through Queens, there were some guys who put on a lot of positive weight, like Aaron Nossbaum and all these guys. But I heard a story about you that you got so big you had to change your platform. Confirm or deny? Uh, I always had an affinity for um, putting on muscle. Like my brother's a professional powerlifter, and I, I knew the exercises to do. At one point. One summer, I was hitting the buys a bit too much, and I just kind of lost a lot of flexibility. <laughs> and I had to kind of, I had to fix, I changed the way I held my hands, and it opened my wrists up a bit more. So I got a few more inches of platform out of it. But I, I worked through it through the year. I stopped working out like that. It's just sometimes I just get bored, and instead of you know going partying and stuff like that, I would just hit the weights because I was so. Um, I struggled with my ADHD so much as a kid that that was what was taught to me as a nice outlet was being active, right? So I did the same thing in university. When exams would come on, I'd be in the gym every day because nice. it's a free, free, like, yeah, it's freedom. Nice. Few, few yeah. more things to cover before we circle back to some other stuff. So when you're leaving Queens, the choice to go to Algonquin, was it to continue your studies? Did you like the school environment and you wanted to play volleyball? Like what, what sparked the change to go from OUA to OCAA? So I'd never really been coached on the beach and it was not evident, but I was kind of getting the idea that that new German coach Leonard, um, liked his defenders to be taller. And I'm saying that because he looked at me and said, my defenders are 195. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I'm like 179 like <laughs> centimeters. And, uh, and I'm like, I can't change that in a month <laughs> or ever. So I'm like, oh, God. And a lot of younger, a lot of smaller players did make it with him, like Aaron Nussbaum, Jake McNeil. Like Grant's not small. He's tall. But just, you know, smaller guys. And they had a lot more beach experience than I. So I was kind of like, what am I going to do with that year? And then uh, Jeff Mooney called me. He was um, a coach of mine in grade 12 and uh, another amazing guy who I keep contact with. He was like, hey, I got the job at Algonquin. Would you like to um, – Phil Yeldon's coming as well, another close friend of mine from growing up. said, hey, would you like to come play? Uh, I could really use a good year. And I'm like, sure, I'd love to. So I moved home and I went to Algonquin out of kind of like – I didn't really know what to do. I wanted to be on the beach national team, but I had no fight left in me. Like I was told no too many times, I feel like at that time. And it's not a what was me story. It's like, a, okay, chapter closed on the taking stuff super seriously. 
let's take a step back and go grassroots of just playing for, for fun and for the love of it. And it, it worked out. It's where I met my wife and had two kids. So it's been great. Awesome. Yeah. That, that's a good break. Good benefit from that. So yeah. Um, sometimes college gets a, a knock and I'll admit it sometimes like I'll just flat out say it. I think university is a higher level. There's, there's nobody who can convince me that it's not, but there are some good players in college. So I'm wondering with your pedigree of coming from kind of what we've laid out here, like offset champion, winning medals with your club team, doing well at Queens and winning league championships there. What did you honestly think of the OCAA when you got there? Like you were there to have fun and that was kind of the level of the league and, and things you could do there. I mean, I took it seriously when the games were on and in practice for sure. I did take it. To, I have a hard time turning off this competitive switch but i thought the volleyball was actually okay it was and in the tournaments it's not like we were winning every game it was like phil and i and then a bunch of young kids we were playing and uh, playing with so every game was a battle and you know phil and i are both like we're not six eight and we're not gonna hit in the back row like we hit in the front row and stuff like that so games were close and i was i was awake every game and I, i liked it and i had to try every game it was perfect style of ball for me, though. Like, mix of court vision slash athleticism at that level. Because at university, when I did play left side, I was like a continue non-error master. Get, you know, get a lot of digs, set your in. Mm-hmm. Just kind of not screw up volleyball. <laughs> which is fine. That was my role, and I played it. And I, I would have liked to play it in my whole four years. Because of the joy I got from it. Yeah, I'm thinking if anyone's ever seen you play, like the intensity you bring and the energy you bring, it, is libero a tough position for for a guy like you? Like I remember Jake McNeil coming through after you and people are like, oh, he's going to have to be a libero at the next level. And I was like, I wouldn't put a kid like that at libero because they need an outlet. They need to score points. They need to be involved in more layers of the game. Did you feel that when you switched to libero that maybe left side was the spot for you, even though, you know, we're in the 180 club or under, right? But uh, yeah. I, I think he can have more of an influence on the game, even though you might be giving up a bit of a liability in a blocking situation here or there, right? Yeah. Um, mentally, I never adjusted, to be perfectly honest with you. And I didn't really share it too much with other than people like on the starting lineup. But I was very uncomfortable playing libero. I wasn't, it wasn't the passing. It wasn't the digging. It was the, oh, those guys are doing stuff I think I can do. And maybe that is false. I can't do what Folly does. I can't do what Nico does. But when I did it in practice, I was pretty successful at it. And it was always, it's just, I was the guy on all my teams until I went to Queens, all of them. My first wake up call was, was the provincial team because they said, I tried out as the left side and they said, Hey, like a lot of people don't know about this. Actually. It's kind of a cool story. They said, Hey, uh, what do you want to be? Mike Chumley's like, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? You know, like intense Mike, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to try for left side because I need to make this team. And Eric was the libero and we won HPC tournament the second time in a row. I, I won that tournament with my teammates as me and Dan Deering on the team, which was nice. The two left sides. Um, and then I get a call and you know, I, I'm like, I got this in the bag. Like I, I definitely one of the better left sides here. You know, I thought it was going to be me and Steve hunt and Dave Williams. And then they get, I get a call and it's Carrie. Kerry McLean and he's like, Alex, I, I hate it. It was almost like he was in tears because he, he knows how much I wanted to make Team Ontario. He's like, I, I have some weird news. And I said, weird? He said, you're t- you're, you know how Winston Rosser wasn't at the uh, HPC? I said, yeah. 
he said, yeah, he's going to continue his tryout in, uh, with you at the provincial team center. And I said, are you, are you kidding me? I'm like, I thought it was one of the best and you're telling me I have to continue trying out. So I show with Winston and he's like six, six man. I'm like, I thought he was just taking the summer off and they say, you're going to continue your tryout. So I show up at U of T everybody else is on the team. They're on the team already. They're relaxed. They're ready to work. And I'm still in stress mode. Cortisol's super high. Like, um, continued my tryout. And I mean, I, I grind, like I was grinding in practice, grinding all the time, doing very well in the drills. And then, uh, when we were voting for captain, I, they still hadn't told me what was going on. Every, uh, uh, I go into Carrie McLean and, uh, Dave Gross's office and they said, so I'm not going to cut you. I said, I, I, in my head, I'm like, amazing. Um, so I beat, beat out Winston. Sorry to hear that. Cause I really like Winston. They said, well, your entire team voted you team captain. And I was like, and they're like, I'm not going to cut the captain. And I was like, are you joking me? Like, that's hilarious and amazing at the same time. So my team, it was like kind of like an, a nice moment for me because I believed in my heart of hearts that I was better than a lot of them that were on the team or at least could ball with them. And they voted me captain. And now they can't, they knew my situation. They knew I was, I could be sent home without going to the tournament. So they all voted me team captain. You know, like I had some tears by myself. Terrell and I celebrated pretty hard in, in our room. And that was it. They kept both of us, me and Winston. So I was uh, one of my favorite moments in volleyball for sure. Wow, man. I'd like to think that I was a fan of your career and I was paying attention, but I'm I'm glad we got you on the show because some of these stories popping up, I wasn't even aware of. So thanks for sharing all that you have so far. Yeah. Anytime. So lots of volleyball. (laughs) Yeah, no, there are, there are some stuff I want to round back to, but just to finish off your career, it's neat to hear you talk about, you know, wanting to be in the beach national team system and, and with Leonard coming in and putting a big emphasis on size and things like that. But one thing that people will remember about you is you used to move to Toronto in the summers and train with Hernan's beach club. And obviously like shout out to guys like, like, I think you stayed at Dallas's house. I think you shared Hernan's basement with guys like Maverick and came Shulk. Like how was that experience? Were you just so focused that you wanted to get it done on the beach that like you, you were away all year at school and then you're going to move away from home again to be in Toronto to train beach. Yeah. I just wanted to give myself a chance because I'd never been, it's, pretty hard to get coached on the beach in Ottawa. It's easier now, but back then they didn't really have that much. So um, I was playing volleyball with uh, uh, Felipe Hernan's son at Madawaska one year. And he said, Hey, next year, do you want to play beach with me? And I said, sure. So I moved to Toronto in the summer and he was part of the provincial team program and I was his partner. So I got to play with some of the best players that way. I was like a provincial team unofficial alternate. Um, And that was the one summer that we got a silver at nationals, but I got to, and I played in Hernan's Beach Club every, I think it was Tuesday and Thursday nights after work, I would go down there. And it was just amazing because you could learn so much about the beach through those guys, watching them play. And then the next summer I played with Daddy and stayed in Ottawa. So that was third year going into fourth year and ended up winning nationals with Rex at U21. I didn't train that much that summer. I, I worked the following summer for going into Algonquin, I played with Felipe again. And I got to play with Sam Pedlo as well, which is, he got me my my highest finish in an Elite Eight event. We lost in semis, uh, but I still remember that. And I really liked it. But I lived with Hernan. I had a, I have an extended 
um, invite to Hernan's anytime I want because him and I got along so well. Another father figure for me. Um, he taught me a lot about life, like just the drives back. He would wait for me to finish training to drive me back. I lived in his basement, but like I was his own son. Like that, that was so cool for me. And sometimes Felipe wouldn't even be there. He was just such a generous man. And we had really good talks about relationships, life, meditation. And he coached me a lot because sometimes if, if uh, sessions were canceled, he'd coach Felipe and I like solo. Yeah. What can you tell us about his coaching style? Cause I've got to shadow him a lot and learn so much. And like you said, it's not all volleyball with him. Like he's just a genuine, amazing person. So with you kind of going through beach volleyball, but learning life lessons, is there any like story or example, or just a way he has of speaking that really stood out to you that why, why he is is great. Like there, there's not a, a person who says a bad thing about him in the volleyball community. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty incredible. Yeah. Just like showing up ready to go, like ready to practice. And then he'd be like, okay, sit down. I'm like, I just got off the subway. You're going to get me to sit down. All right, let's go sit down. Am I stretching? Am I stretching? <laughs> no, close your eyes. I'm like, I guess what the hell? All right. Close my eyes. Oh, I'm meditating again, aren't I? I'm like, okay, I'm meditating now. And, you know, just sitting with myself. He, he kind of looked at me and was like, Felipe was a pretty calm dude. I think he could sense that there was something about me that I wasn't comfortable with in my own self. Because, he, like, meditation was a focal point before training with him. And just taking in the sights and the sounds and being comfortable, breathing with yourself, trying to be present, focusing on the breath. And then you practice. And it was a recurring theme. And what I took away from Hernan was definitely the meditation bug, for sure. Reading about meditation, practicing meditation, um, trying to live a mindful life. And also, some volleyball tips were, were huge, too. Because he always asked the question, like, why? You know, why would you do that? So Felipe and I would be up five, right? Or up three against the team. And I've been jump floating. And because the wind's in my, I'm picking on one guy, I would chuck up a spin and miss it. And he would look and he'd be like, Alejandro, why? Why? <laughs> and I'm like, like, what do you mean? Why? I just wanted to bang a serve. And he goes, you did the hard part already. He's in a, the, the defender is in a tough spot mentally. Why are you giving him a way out? All you had to do, like, Steadily, you need to get off the gas as the other person becomes so, you know, in their own head, right? You don't need your best serve anymore. You need the serve on the guy. That's it. And I never thought like that. I was always go, go, go. Harder, harder, harder. You know, serve harder. Hit harder. But he was always about, you know, you got to be casual about this. It's not, it's not rocket science. He's just, he hasn't sided out in three points. He's a mess right now mentally, right? Why would you spin serve and get, let him breathe? Like, and miss, possibly, you know? Like, why would you do that to yourself? So very simple, oversimplifying the game and having freedom in your mind. Like, he would always talk about, you need to play like you don't care. I'm like, but I care a lot. He goes, like you don't care. Like you don't care. You can't be over-invested in winning or over-invested in losing because then you're giving up the present moment. You're going to miss all this. And I, he would say these things to me, and I, I'm a kid, right? But now that I'm deeper in my own practice of meditation, I totally get it. He was talking about grasping. You're grasping at the win. You're grasping at the loss. 
you're over invested in what's going to come next, meaning you're not here. You're Alex 7.0. You know, you're not 100% in because you're somewhere else. And I was like, I, at the time, I didn't really take it in. I just took in the breathing in, breathing out, sitting. But there's a lot of meditation in what he teaches and the way he talks. And over, if you, you know, generalize a cultural group, if you are too inclusive in your beliefs, or sorry, too exclusive in your beliefs, he is like on you like a hawk. Why do you think that? You know, why, why do you think that? And he's breaking down your makeup of the way you've been since you were a kid by just asking the questions and you're left with this kind of at peace human because you're not over invested or over opinionated about anything. That's kind of what I took from him is that is kind of just the breathing, the meditation and, and not so much volleyball. He keep your elbow high. Okay. I don't think he said that to me once. It was always be here, be here now. That's so funny that you mentioned like the, the not caring part. It reminds me, uh, Jason Japania, when I worked at the OVA, he was our technical director. And he mentioned when he first moved to Toronto, he used to be like the fourth for Mark and John if they needed a guy. And Jason mm-hmm. Jason's at practice and he makes this error, makes this error, makes this error. And finally, he kicks a ball basically across beach blast, he says. And he's playing with John Child because they were swapping partners at that time. And John makes the same, same error. And instead of freaking out, John just looks at him and goes, huh. I usually make that and then just is totally calm and sides out the next ball. So you explaining Hernan's philosophy, I know he had a big influence on John Child. It's just, it's cool to hear it talked about, but then get to see it in action. And do you really use like these Hernanisms that come up every once in a while? I use them with, uh, I use them all the time. I have been struggling the past, well, since I stopped playing volleyball with like anxiety and stuff like that, um, ADHD, a little bit of depression here and there. And it's like, I didn't want to play volleyball anymore because I was so low energy and then so stressed at the same time. And I, this guy called me this there, he messaged me on Instagram or Facebook this year and was like, Hey, uh, would you like to play beach volleyball with me? And I haven't trained beach volleyball since 2012. And I, in my head, my anxiety was like, no. And I, I was just in that mood to that day to just get out there. And I was like, I just wrote, yes, I like your face. Yes. And it's funny. His name's Scott Wilson, not Scott Wilson from Queens, but Scott Wilson from Ottawa and uh, just turns out the guy's like an absolute beast with super nice hands. And the main thing is, is we get along really well. And so we've been playing at this um, guy's house named Derek Deadman and he has an Instagram account, Dead Man's Beach. Friend of the show. He's, he's messaged me a couple of, times yeah. to suggest some guests. So I'm glad you could give yeah. him a shout out. We've been playing at Derek's house and um, it's been like super therapeutic for me. Like getting out there with a bunch of guys, Ryan DeBruins there too. And we just, play some decent level volleyball in a on a beautiful court it's definitely one of the nicest courts i've ever played on and uh i'm just appreciative to the guys for having me out no anytime i want pretty much with my family too like brie brings the kids and um go swimming while i play volleyball it's pretty amazing wow wow nice nice now you've hinted a couple times and you've been so generous to share some stories i was wondering if you could let us into your process because you mentioned you, you had the challenges of having adhd you mentioned like the ego thing in recruiting where queens is kind of like yeah you can come here but you're, you're not going to be the guy type thing you know being labeled as small even though you're getting results and you can totally ball on the beach like how how have you kind of climbed these these obstacles you're going through like even the provincial team example like your your peers all saw it but sometimes coaches don't see it right so how do you deal with like your own identity in sport and your own thing where you know you're the man but it just it isn't coming through and people aren't valuing the same way that your identity is right oh i think it 
I think I just developed it over time. It used to really bother me a lot. It used to bother me a ton. And then like, it would bother me about someone's opinion, not bringing my name up. Oh, he didn't bring my name up. You know, thinking about what other people think is, is, is super toxic. So I think over time, I've just kind of been able to separate myself um, and try to find peace in my own mind about, Hey, you know, you did your thing or you're doing your thing. And that's all you can ask for. You put the effort in and, Sometimes the world works in mysterious ways. And I think leaving room for the unimaginable was, was pretty cool growing up. And then when I said I didn't want to play beach anymore, that was it. You know, sometimes life isn't perfect. You're not going to represent Canada on the beach. That was what I wanted. But obviously, if I wanted it that bad, I would have stayed. You know, a lot of guys stayed. So I was just appreciative to train with all those guys like Kame Schalk and and Maverick Hatch, because I have our living situation, came and I are really good friends. He had me out. I got to play Matt, Maddie Z. All those guys, Christian Redmond, I got to play against some of the best and train with them. And I didn't feel like an, an extra. I didn't feel like, oh, we got Alex today. You know, it wasn't the, the second fiddle. I felt, okay, I'm letting them have a different look. And, I, and that was all I needed to make peace with myself that I tried. I'm good with it. Awesome. Awesome. And anybody who's listening, obviously you're a big meditation guy now. So are you just doing five minutes in the morning or what is your ritual or what would you recommend to a young athlete who's, you know, got your energy, your intensity? Like, what would you say would be like a good thing for them to practice? Is it a journal? Is it meditating? Like what, what advice would you give to a younger athlete based on your own experiences? My own experience came from necessity. Um, and I've developed over time, through, I use the Calm app to get me started. There's like a 30-day learn how to meditate. And it's just just sitting with yourself. My practice has kind of brought me to uh, 30 to 45 minutes a day, actually. I'm really, it's a lot of time, but I wake up early and I get it done. It's It's been uh, huge for me, just filtering, or, or not filtering, just like not caring. It's pretty much what Hernan said. So it's guided sometimes. I vary. I switch it up. I read a lot of books about meditation and mindfulness. Um, and it's given me kind of a second, a second, I feel like a second chance in life of who I want to be. So instead of talking out of anxiety or ADHD, where it's, you know, go, 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 you say things you don't mean, I'm actually thinking about ramifications. I'm, I'm having time. It creates space in your mind. So if you have these thoughts in your head, and they're, you know, anxious thoughts. They're really close to the surface. All meditation does is just gives you a little bit of a buffer. It's like, is this, is this going to help me if I say this? Is it going to help me if I do this? Okay, what's going to help me? And it lets, it doesn't make everything better. It, may, it just, just gives you a little bit of space. So I would suggest as an athlete, especially one who struggles with ADHD and anxiety, a couple minutes a day as you develop, you'll just sit couple deep breaths and then getting right into we call it the home home base um focusing your breath on your stomach or your nose wherever you feel the breath the most uh the most clearly and then kind of just sitting in stillness so for me when i first started i would because i was struggling immensely with my anxiety i would sit for two minutes and i'd wake up and my shirt would be so front and back wow so anybody who struggles with mental health uh knows what it can do and i mean my shirt was soaked like I just sat in a sauna fully clothed and I was only doing it for two minutes. So, you know, you, you get up and you're like, oh, that was scary. I don't want to do that again, but you sit again. So it's kind of the belief that you can sit through anything. There's, I forget the poem, but it, you know, 
you sit. You know, if you, if these thoughts come and you're standing, you stand. If the thoughts come and you're sitting, you sit. You don't budge for these thoughts. You don't grasp at the bad thoughts. And through practice of two minutes, one week, next week you're at three minutes, you're sitting. Because there's no escaping your own mind, right? There, you can't avert yourself from these thoughts. You can sit with them and become friends with them, though. And that's all I can say is develops through this meditation, being aware of your thoughts, sitting in awareness. You know, a scary thought comes in. I'm not going to make so for an athlete. I'm not going to make this team. I'm too short. I'm too. These are these are thoughts that are going to be there your whole life. And as soon as you can breathe with them and sit with them, don't avert yourself from them. They're not going to bother you anymore. And it's going to be it's going to be a peaceful thing like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're there. I sit with them. I'm aware of what they're doing to my body. Oh, I'm stressed. And for me, I bring it into my beach volleyball now. And I'm like, oh, I'm stressed. I feel like yelling. I'm like, I'm not going to yell, but I feel like it. And just knowing that that's where you are mentally is super uh, productive for sports, I find. And I wish I got into it sooner. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I always love episodes where I can get a laugh and then actually learn and apply some stuff. And you, you've covered all the bases for me so far, man. This is this is great. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> no problem, man. Love it. I, I love all I love all about this stuff. And I've just kind of it's been a, a year for me, almost nine months of every day, 30, 40 minutes of meditation. And I'm slowly coming out of my recent anxiety funk. And I think I've got some good tools moving forward. And that's the athlete mentality. You don't take things laying down, right? You're going to find tools to help your situation. So that's kind of what I, I do in life. So one thing I kind of joked about at the start was you not getting an OCAA All-Star, which in my opinion was a complete jam job of how it didn't happen. But I'm wondering with all you've shared about your intensity and your style and, and even texting guys after the game of stuff that you maybe you thought was offside of what you said to them, like when you reflect on that, like, is that maybe, I don't want to say the word regret, but is there anything that you look back and be like, man, if, if I had a second chance of this, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, acted this way or said this thing or, or done this. Like, is there anything that you kind of look back at your younger self and go, ah, oh, I just can't believe I did that. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, it all led me to where I am today, like on the inside, but there's some things that just, it kind of still bugs me. And I, is the way I carried myself in uh, in the college in the college volleyball like I, like I said I did really well statistically and um, in the league and at the OCAA championships my coach comes up to me and goes so you're not even getting a second team it's coach voted and uh, you got no nods and I'm like and you know Jay Mooney he's a man's man he's like he let me do whatever I wanted I was free to act how I wanted and I made my uh, I dug my own grave in that respect and I'm kind of like Oh, it would have been kind of cool to have my name there, just show my kids or something, but I didn't have kids at that point. So it just goes to show you that the way you act, um, the person you are on the inside is the thing that kind of prevails. And my play did not prevail over my mouth that year at all. Like I took over games on the floor and then I was a complete a-hole to, to certain people and coaches included. And it's kind of an informal setting. Whereas like I remember in university, like John Barrett or whatever, like staring me down because I was talking to his teammates, uh, to his, to his kids, uh, like just talking crap behind urine and ammo, you know, beaking the whole game. Um, but in college it was so informal. Like I remember getting in like screaming matches with other coaches, like them telling me they're going to, you know, see me after the game. And I love that. But what happens when you do that is 
you start creating um, space between you and the rest of the people where you become this uh, entity. And for me, talking that much crap <laughs> didn't, didn't go so well. Um, and it was embarrassing. And that was my kind of, huh, I don't like that part of me. You know, I said what I said, but I really don't like that part of me. And I actually don't play like that at all anymore. I think it took away. It just kind of makes me wonder, like, what I could have done if I was more at peace with myself. Because people who talk like that are running away from something. You know, if they're keeping anger that close to the surface, there's something in there that they need to work on or breathe with or whatever. But it was all me. And I wish I I wish I acted a bit more... Um, you know, I wish I acted a bit less selfish, less, you know, in your face in my college years, in my college year, because I think we could have done better. And uh, maybe I was tired. Maybe it was mental health related. Who knows? I just have a bit of regrets in that in that respect. But university, I talked the entire time. I felt protected. Ammo and Yorn were not going to let things happen to me if I talked out of my weight class. Uh, those were some of my best friends. So... I, I, I had a call. I talked a lot in a Waterloo game at Queens one year. I ended up stopping a, a handshake. I uh, just grabbed the guy's hand and it just went off on him. And then actually Tyler Vivian, who I'm friends with now, <laughs> came around the net and shoved me like four feet because I wasn't looking. He pushed me about four feet back. And then, you know, Ammo and Yorin circled around me because I think they were just, it was going to be a punch fest with me being the dummy. And I just, they just kind of circled around me, broke it up, whatever. But like after my, one of my good friends, Hussein Abdo was on the Waterloo team and on the way on the bus ride home, he messages me and he goes, dude, this is really uncomfortable for me. I'm having to defend you on the fricking bus. They're talking shit about you the whole way home. And I was, I felt horrible because he's one of my best friends and they were, you know, it must be when you love somebody, like, like I love him, he loves me. Imagine somebody talking about a person you love and the whole team jumping on that. What that does to your friends. Because he's trying to stand up for me. And he's like, I got to stop. I'm like, dude, don't stand up for me. We're good. But that text was kind of like an eye-opener for me. That like, hey, you know, your words mean something. If you're not a nice person, no one's, not gonna, no one's ever going to want to play with you. Yeah, that, that's such a good point because I think when you brought up Matt Harris being a bit of a hothead in his young coaching career, there was stuff that I look back and regret. And, and I think every incident I've ever had with somebody, if I actually take the time to get to know them, they're not actually that bad of a person. I think that's why I gave you such a pass with Algonquin. You'd be yelling at our guys and I'd be like, I know Alex at his core is a really good dude. So I'm not upset where if you were a stranger or somebody who went to Fleming, I would think you were the biggest dick ever. And there, there'd have to be some conversation it's, happening, right? Where I think that's so what's interesting like that. Yeah. But if you reflect or actually take the time to get to know people, I don't think there's a lot of bad people in our sport. It's just those situations where it's almost situational conflict where I don't actually hate you as a person. I just, I'm competing with you right now and I don't like what you're doing. Right. So it, it is unfortunate that like people at the OCAA couldn't see that because it is a voted system but like you said so many things and so many actions and interactions have shaped you to who you are and obviously you're doing well and you're, you're a great father and a great husband and you've got a lot going for you but uh it, it is funny the journey you've taken and, and the reflection you've had to do well yeah I think I think about the same things uh the guys that you you have fear or intimidation are at, uh, towards are some of the nicest guys. Like when I was at Queens, uh, Paul Putstocka was playing at Mac and he was a pretty intimidating dude. And, you know, Yorn got blocked on a right side ball. The ball hit me in the face and took my contact off. And 
while I'm putting the contact back in, Paul's in my ear, you know, how's that feel? How's that feel? Like he's, he's chirping me while I'm putting the contact in. And I'm like, Oh my God, this guy is a complete psycho. And then when I started playing beach, I didn't know Paul. I love Paul. I think he's hilarious, but like just the people you think are one way are most of the time the other. Like you get, you get Yorn and Ammo who are very intense guys. And a lot of people in the CIS were intimidated by them on the court. They are the nicest human beings in the world. Oh, absolutely. When I first went to Madawaska and I was in a cabin with Ammo, his on-court personality, I thought he was going to be a bully and just boss people around. He is the most genuine, hilarious, nicest guy I think I've ever met, right? Like, they're just... And ridiculously smart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the same thing for Yorn. He's just a quiet guy and, you know, he gets intense. He has opinions about things, but at the core, not even deep down with him, nicest guy ever. Like, it's crazy. Once you peel back a couple layers or you just, you, you hang out with people outside the court. And I think that's why it's so important to do so, because when you jump on the court, you got people yelling, you're trying to man up. I got my air quotes up, deal with anxiety, deal with people thinking you're bad at volleyball, a crowd yelling at you. You're not your whole self at all. So I think it's important to take a step back and really try to think about the humans that are involved. And I wish it's not a regret. It's more of a wish that I did that a bit sooner because I think I could have been happier as a kid. And that's my only regret-ish. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing it. It's good to share some laughs and catch up with you, but also to get some takeaways for this. So this has been awesome, man. Hey, anytime. Loves it. Awesome, man. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at the clock. I know you're a busy guy and I promised you an hour, but uh, one thing that we're, we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just to end with a funny story. And you, you can tell one of your own if you've got it, but uh, I need to know the origin of one of these. If anybody searches your name on YouTube, they're going to find a hilarious uh, mock video about you talking about beach volleyball at Mad Camp. Give, give me the behind the scenes. Whose idea is that? I believe you and Duncan Cairns, you know, Josh Binstock and Martin Reeder make an appearance. Who, whose idea of that project? How did it come together? Because I, I still watch it to this day. It's hilarious. Um, so I think it was Duncan, Ellie may have been filming, Ellie Shermer, good friend, may have been filming it. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Okay. Uh, Ellie, Duncan, I think Dan Pearson, um, his nickname's Hops at Madawaska. So all really good friends of mine, um, had this idea to make this like spoof volleyball video, um, kind of going after the gym video. I forget what his name is, but he's kind of like a, a, a jacked up guy making fun of his workout routine. So we just did the same thing with volleyball. And it just so happens Martin and Josh were visiting Madawaska um, at the time. So they were the opening uh, opening credits for that. And uh, it just, I, I was surrounded, like I'm, I think I have an okay sense of humor, but I was surrounded by guys who have me in stitches. So it was just a perfect storm, right? Like Duncan gets me crying. Uh, Jordan, like <laughs> Ellie has me crying sometimes. Dan Pearson makes me laugh till I'm like heaving, you know? And, and it's just all those guys made for this video. And I was just at the time the guy to do it. And just, it was so funny. And kids still come up to me in Ottawa and like, hey, are you that guy that did that video, uh, that volleyball video? Because they'll see me on one of like the, the higher courts because the kids, the younger people play on the lower courts. Because uh, we're all mixed and matched in Ottawa. So I'll be like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad kids can get a, get a laugh out of that because we had so much fun making it. 
and Martin edited it. Like one night, he's just motivated. He's like, "This is gonna be big." I'm like, I'm "Like, okay, <laughs> like, all right, man." He was good with the computer and the editing and stuff, so he started editing it, and uh, it, <laughs> yeah, I had so much fun making that, and just the laughter. Like, I think laughter is so important, right? And that provided us with some crazy laughter. You know, you're going on nights without sleep at Madawaska, and it's like you're just, you know, dry. You're like you're just laughing so hard, and. I'll remember that forever and YouTube has it. And every t- I'll watch it sometimes. My wife will look at me and she'll be like, what are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> and my wife's the best. Day. Like she's just, she's like, you're hilarious. Like you're watching yourself on YouTube. I'm like, ah, just bring me back to a time. She's you know, joking around. We give each other a hard time, but she'll catch me watching it and give me a hard time. I think it's pretty funny. Unreal, man. I, I, like I said, I've always been a fan of your career. And, and if I could learn something from this episode, I bet you our listeners got a big kick out of it, too. So thanks for sharing the journey and all you did. One thing I got to ask you about before I let you go. I mean, you, you've given your family a plug a little bit here. Obviously, you got two kids, an awesome wife, and, and I believe you're in the real estate game right now. So why don't you tell us quickly about that before we let you go? You know, no free ads on this show, but uh, you might as well plug what you're doing in the Ottawa oh, area. Let's get a bus bench ad out of this. <laughs> Yeah, so um, when I got out of college, I uh, like we were talking about the anxiety and stuff like that, and I um, it, it hit me pretty hard. And um, you know, after talking with my wife about where I was doing for my work and stuff like that, I started framing houses for six and a half years, which is very physical work, and it was very good for my anxiety because at the end of the day, I was too tired to deal with anything else. So I did that, and uh, my parents are both in real estate in Ottawa. And they saw how hard I was working and were like, Hey man, like you want to take your license? Like you could work for us and have a different kind of life because I mean, my wife was seeing me come home every day, you freeze minus 40, you know, plus 40 and just being fried. And she's like, you should give it a shot. You could have a different life. And with this life, I get to um, walk my kids to the school bus. I get to bring like go to work go to my wife's work and see how she's doing. Um, I can coach my kids games. I could coach a club team. I have freedom to take control of my life and do things that make me happy. And getting back into volleyball has made me really happy. So I, it's just a nice um, career for people who have other interests as well. And it just worked out for me. And, uh, Business has been pretty good, and um, the kids are. High. I have two kids, a six and a three-year-old, Luca and Everly, and they're. You know, it's weird with this COVID stuff. I've been locked inside with them for a few months, but I'm learning, uh, learning a lot about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, my this... kids are gonna be. My son's gonna be a setter. He's left-handed, so he'll. Uh, I can't wait to see him play sports. I'm not gonna coach him though. I'm just gonna watch. You'll be the intense parent on the sideline. No, I'm not. I'm just going to watch. And I'm, I, I, if I could model my behavior, it'd be like a Bruce Dunning, Hernan hybrid. Nice. Love that. Sit, yeah. Car rides, chat about life and then watch them play sports. Let loose. Sweet, man. Well, well, thanks again for taking all the time you did. I'm glad we could get you on the show. I mean, I, I know you got a lot on the go and, and it was good to share this and you you might feel like your your playing career is behind you, but I still have good memories of watching you when you're at Queens. And you know, I, I never looked forward to playing Algonquin. I don't know how many times we beat them. It wasn't very many. So uh, good, good <laughs> to catch up. And you know, we'll have to get Phil Yeldon and some of those other guys that you name dropped on the show because I think there's there's a ton more stories to be told. That maybe somebody's got some Alex and Eats stories out there that need to be told as well. Oh, I hope not. I hope they're in, <laughs> I hope they're in I hope they're in a vault 
deep down. Deep down. <laughs> but thanks so much for having me, Josh. It was so much fun.